0: Amen, and it's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Uh, look around, and see who's here, and uh, what a blessing it is to be with God's people this morning. You know, if you, uh, if you missed summer nights on the lawn last Wednesday, you missed a blessing. Uh, I really enjoyed getting together with everybody and, and um, hanging out and visiting and sharing, and, and uh, we're going to do that every first Wednesday of each month for the next three months. And so uh, I hope that you'll come and be a part of that, Uh, Summer Nights on the Lawn. This morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 15, if you have your scripture and want to open up to that. Um, You know, we're going to be talking about the grace of serving, the grace of serving. And uh, you know there's a man, he stopped in at the bank and and he found a customer service clerk sitting there, she was talking on the phone, talking to somebody uh, about some new restaurants in the area and uh, after three or four minutes you know of exchanging kind of dark glances uh, with the man she told her caller she said hold on a minute I'm being interrupted by a customer you know I think sometimes that's the way it is and that's the way we feel Um, you know some people approach going that extra mile Uh, with an attitude that makes you wonder if uh, they're going the extra mile because they missed the previous exit. You know, I think for many people that's kind of the way it is. But you know, every church is filled with willing people. Some people are willing to work, and others are willing to let them. I mean, it's a sad case. And when I I bring this message this morning, I just want you to know that... um, I feel like sometimes I'm preaching to the choir, okay? But we still need to hear it. And um, this, this message um, has, has done a great work in my life this week, and I hope that it will do a great work in your life as well. Um, you may or may not understand the, the New Testament truth that as a Christian, God has given you um, gifts, spiritual gifts, that you are to use in serving are really ministering for Him. He gives you these gifts so that you can minister for Him. And, and there are no useless or inactive parts of the body of Christ. I mean, every believer is a priest with a ministry to fulfill. And, um, you know, this, this is so important. I mean, if you look at Jesus Christ, the one whom we follow, the one whom we praise... Um, According to John uh, 1.14, he was full of grace and truth, and he went about doing good, humbling himself to serve. And before we get to Romans 15, I just want to read something out of Philippians 2. It says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You see, his whole ministry, his whole life was given to ministry. We read about it in Matthew 20, 28, where it says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but came to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. And, and you know, he exemplified that spirit of humble service. We read about it in John 13, where he's washing the disciples' feet. He took the lowliest job. He took the job that nobody else wanted to do. And he made that something special for his disciples. You think about that. He he indiscriminately just, just washed each one of their feet. He is showing them an example of what they should do when it comes to service. And so Jesus had the grace of serving. So I asked the question this morning, do we have this kind of grace? It takes grace to serve others. Because we're selfish beings. We're all about us. And so we need to, we need to look at that and, and, and look at this grace of serving. See, God gives us grace to be saved. He gives us grace in order to live. But he also gives us grace in order to serve. And to see this truth, we need to remember that grace is an active attribute of God. It's it's something that describes who he is, is grace. It expresses his powering of us, giving us both the desire and the dynamic to do things his way. In Philippians 2.13, it says, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work, For his good pleasure. This is how we have the grace for serving. It comes from him. His power is at work in us, giving us the desire and the power to serve the way he wants us to serve. We don't pick and choose who we're going to serve, how we're going to serve him, but we allow his word to show us what he desires to do in our lives. See, I want to say that the only, the only right way, the only way that you could rightly say, excuse me, that this message doesn't apply to you is if you're not saved. In fact, if you've not been born again, you cannot serve God. In fact, you can't do anything for God to try and earn your salvation because good deeds can never Erase the guilt of our sins. If they could, then Jesus would not have needed to die. It is only when you confess the pride of your own self-righteousness and you trust in Christ alone as your Savior from sin that you can actually serve God. So if you're not saved, the application for you for this message today is that you need to trust in Christ Right now Amen. don't wait, don't put it off, put your faith, put your trust in him, and all of us who have trusted in Christ will give an account to God for how well we served him with the gifts that he has given us. We will give an account for that i want to I want you to, if you're not already there turn to romans i 'm going to give you just a brief background then we 'll jump into it the apostle paul he had just completed this major doctrinal work of, of this letter to the Romans. It's very uh, doctrinal. It's very practical. And, and he now turns to some personal matters that, that extend the, the end of this letter. And this letter is one that is, um, it's the longest closing section uh, of any of Paul's letters, maybe because he hasn't visited this church in Rome yet, um, but he wanted to lay the groundwork for a possible future visit. And so, here in our passage today, we're going to be in Romans 15, 14, and following. He describes some of his past ministry. And then he takes the rest of the chapter and he describes his future ministry. And uh, in in the next chapter, 16, he gives some extended greetings to uh, the people he knew in Rome, and and followed by a final exhortation and encouragement, greetings uh, from the people who were with him, and then a final benediction. So this is like the longest closing of a letter that we see from Paul. But I want to read verse 14 through 19 in chapter 15 of Romans, and it says this. God's word says, "'And concerning you, my brethren,' I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able also to admonish one another. But I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout, as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ." going to stop there. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. And Father, we, we thank you for your word. And even now, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would take your words. And Father, that you would convict our hearts. Father, as we sit before you listening, I pray, Father, that you would speak to each one of us through your Holy Spirit. Father, help us as we seek to be your kingdom people in this crazy world that we live in. Father, we love you. Help us to serve like Christ serves. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's kind of difficult to sum up uh, these verses in a single sentence, but here's my stab at it, okay? Following Paul's example... We should affirm the ministries of others while serving the Lord in line with our gifts and calling, giving him the glory for any results. See, Paul affirms the entire Roman church, not just the pastors. He affirms the entire Roman church and says that they are full of goodness filled with all knowledge and able to admonish one another. In other words, what he's saying is they are fully competent to minister to each other. That's huge. Because sometimes we feel like it's only the pastor. Think about this. Each one of us is ministers. Here's the ministry principle. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, you're in the ministry. If you're a Christian, you're in the ministry because we are all ministers. We're all servants, and that's what that word means, servant. We are all servants. I mean, some are called to a vocation, maybe as a missionary or as a pastor or maybe a parachurch para organization. Or, or one that, uh, you know, maybe they're on staff at a church. Or maybe they're a teacher at a Christian school. And that is their vocation. That is, that is what God has called them to do. Others he calls as tent makers. To witness and to serve him. As you make a living in a non-religious profession. But Listen we need to understand that no vocation is more sacred than another. A missionary is no more pleasing to God than a maid. A pastor is no more spiritual than a plumber. It depends on what's inside. It depends on what God is doing in and through your life. Your vocation is what your calling is. It is what you do, but we're all called to be ministers. And what pleases God is obedience, your obedience and mine to his call to serve wherever he places us, wherever he places us. Paul would say, God's grace is my source. Jesus Christ is my motivation. And the Holy Spirit is my power to accomplish it. You know, the late Dawson Trotman, who founded the Navigators, he was visiting Taiwan and, and with one of his overseas trips, and he went with this pastor. They hiked back into the, the mountain villages to see some of these uh, national Christians back in there. And the roads and the trails were, were wet, and, and, and their, their feet got very muddy. And, and uh, later on, someone asked this Taiwanese pastor what he remembered most about Dawson Trotman. And this is what he said. He said, he cleaned my shoes. Folks, that is service that is very practical. And I want to talk about the, the grace of serving is the grace of serving Practically. I mean, it's easy for us to say, well, if God called me to do that, I would do that. Maybe he's not calling you to do that. Maybe he's calling you to do this. That that lies closest at hand. And when you think about that, I mean, you know, this grace of serving practically. Paul tells us in verse 15 and 16, he says, but I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister, to be a servant of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, serving, ministering as a priest of the gospel of God so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. See, God gives the grace to serve and Paul is a living testimony of that. I mean, the word for minister means public servant. Public servant. And it also has the connotation of fulfilling a function. (laughs) You're there for a reason. You're doing something. And Paul was qualified to remind his readers of these points because he had a special position as a result of God's grace. God wanted him to go preach to the Gentiles. (laughs) Up to this point, the Gentiles had never had the gospel. Those who were outside of Jerusalem, outside of Israel, those who were not a Jew had not received the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and he gave the grace to Paul to go do that. He was a minister, literally a public servant to the Gentiles. And this ministry was carried out as a priestly duty and involved him proclaiming the gospel. And because of his sharing the good news with the, the Gentiles, They became an offering acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. See, like a priest, Paul introduced the Gentiles to God, and they received Jesus Christ, and he gave them back to him as his offering. See, God's willingness to accept the Gentiles, set apart by the work of the Holy Spirit, shows his plan to unite Jews and Gentiles into one body. So they become the body. See, this kind of serving is to the Lord. I mean, we serve our Lord by serving others by helping other people, and by serving them in very practical ways. Dr. Chester swore. He tells about a bedridden woman who formerly taught the largest Sunday school class in her church. She was very busy. She sang in the choir. She was active in many ways. She could have complained and said that that her days of ministry were over. But with a new spirit of courage... She said this, she said, I'm going to look for new ways to serve. She became a very powerful witness. I mean, think about this. During one week alone, she telephoned from her bedside 150 church members, urging them to go to an important meeting. She also invited young people to come and sit by her bedside, And seven of those young people accepted Christ as they sat by her bedside. Seven more went on to full-time ministry vocation. I mean, this woman served mightily, and she never left her bed. Folks, this is the grace for serving. See, we serve wherever we are. No matter the situation, no matter the condition, because the grace of God is sufficient. So this grace of serving practically, but but also spiritually, ministry principle here is offer your ministry to God as an act of worship, pleasing him. And this is best seen probably in in, uh, Romans 2. If I flip back one page in my Bible, it's uh, Romans, excuse me, Romans 12, um, verses 1, 2, and 3. It says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, this is Paul writing, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. See, this kind of serving spiritually... It, it, um, it's expressed in three ways, um, serving according to spiritual guidelines, verses 1 and 2. You see, serving is not just a matter of doing an activity. It's not just a matter of doing an activity. It's an expression of a life that is presented to God. When you are serving, you are, you are expressing um, what your, that your life is committed to God. It's an act of worship when we are serving one another. And it, it, it's so important that we understand because the flow of these first three verses, I mean, if you listen to what Paul is saying here, service is a response to worship. We worship him. And out of that comes an attitude and a desire to serve. Service expresses sacrifice. Service is devotion, not duty. Oh, I got to go do this. No. It's a sacrifice, but it's devotion. When we come together to worship, the deciding factor on whether or not we truly experience worship can be seen in the following ways. I mean, selfish service is expressed in the big deal. But true service finds it almost impossible to distinguish between what is large and what is small. It's all service. It's all sacrifice. Selfish service requires external rewards. Maybe we're doing it for an attaboy or a thank you, or so we'll be recognized. But true service rests contented in hiddenness. It's okay if nobody knows. I'm doing it for an audience of one. Selfish service is highly concerned about results. True service is free from the need to calculate results. It's in God's hands. Selfish service picks and chooses whom to serve. True service is indiscriminate in the ministry. Selfish service is affected by moods and whims. But true service ministers simply and purely. He also said serving according to sound judgment in verse 3. Everyone among you ought to not think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. See, sound judgment means that we're not thinking of ourselves up here on a pedestal or not thinking we're better than anybody else. But according to God's measurement of faith, it means that we know we've been given grace to serve and faith to exercise, but that not all have the same function. I'm thankful for those this morning who are serving in our nursery they're watching the little ones they're loving on them they're keeping them it's not a duty it's a sacrifice it's a devotion their spiritual service of worship I think that's big because if we do not function If we fail to fulfill God's grace in our life so that the church suffers from the lack of Christians who serve, I'm just going to say the church suffers when we as a body don't step up and serve wherever the need is. Oh, we like to pick and choose. Well, I'll do this, but that's not my calling. I'm not saying it's your calling. I'm saying we all serve, though. We all have places of service. They're not the same position. They're not all the same function. But we all have to fulfill what it is that God has gifted us in so that the church, his kingdom, moves forward. He also says, talks about serving according to our spiritual gifts in verse 6 and 7 we didn't read that since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us each of us is to exercise them accordingly if prophecy according to the portion excuse me proportion of his faith if service in his serving or in uh, or he who teaches in his teaching and verse 8 and he who exhorts in his exhortation he who gives with liberality he who leads with diligence and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness we each have gifts that that we are to exercise according to the grace given to us. And each one of us has a spiritual gift, a grace gift. Something God has given us from His grace. Seven of them are listed. Prophecy, serving, teaching, exhorting, um, giving, administering, and uh, administration, and showing mercy. But you see, our best service will be rendered In the knowledge of the spiritual gift that God has given to us. So, what gift has God entrusted to you? What gift has God entrusted to you for this body? Because if you're not using it, if you're not serving it, then the body is suffering because of that. Are you exercising that gift? I would also talk about the grace of serving cooperatively. The ministry principle here is that trust God to work through others in the body and affirm their ministries. This is best seen in Galatians 2, um, verse 9 and following. Um, I'm not going to read this whole section, but I'm going to summarize some of it. But in verse 9, it says this. It says, And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, Paul is writing this, and recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James, and Cephas, Peter, and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Three concepts here. The grace of serving together. So when Paul and Barnabas came... Peter, James, and John gave them the right hand of fellowship and said, okay, you all are going to be called to the, the Gentiles. We're called to the Jews. And, you know, um, we, they, they gave them the, the nod of approval that this was their means of endorsing one another in their ministry. Their ministry of grace. And so the grace of serving together is, is huge. We have to be willing... To recognize that other people are using the gifts God has given them in serving. There's also the grace of serving sincerely. (laughs) In verse 11 it talks about Peter who was serving in fear of others. He separated himself from other servants. So what happened was Peter was eating with Gentiles until other Jews showed up. And then he withdrew himself and wouldn't have fellowship with them because he didn't want the other Jews to know that he had been fellowshipping with them. And he was being two-faced about it. Salvation did not mean that the Gentiles had to become like Jews, but that the Jews had to go to the level of the condemned Gentiles. I mean... Paul makes this argument. He says, we are justified giving a right standing before God by faith in Jesus Christ. The works of the law will never justify a man. Was any Jew ever saved by keeping the law? Of course not. So Paul was was given grace to oppose Peter to his face and warn him about the hypocrisy that he was doing. See, service is to be done in openness, not in secrecy, not, not keeping it a secret. So we here we have this, this sincere heart. And, and given the grace that God put on Paul, he said, you need to confront Peter about it. And so he did. But we also see the, the, the grace of serving effectively. If you continue in, in uh, Galatians uh, 2... Down in verse 20, the, the, the secret of serving is found in this verse, verse 20, which speaks of being crucified with Christ. I mean, the, the, the perfect tense here emphasizes a past event with continuing effects. Not only are we crucified with Christ, crucified with Christ, but Christ also lives In us We're crucified with him But he also lives in us And the reality of this truth Lifts the pressure of serving It means that Christ is living in us And serving through us We become a vessel That Christ can use Folks this is the secret To successful service Not making it about you Making it about him And letting him serve Through you. You know, I've heard pastors who felt threatened if their their congregation, if their flock, you know, listened to other preachers. You know, and and some pastors feel the, the need to control every ministry in the church as if they're the only one in the church capable of teaching the truth or dealing with problems. I've also seen Christian parents who jealously guard their children from any spiritual input from other believers. But folks, that mentality stems from our own pride and it cripples the ministry of the body. If another Christian can teach my children, hallelujah! Hallelujah! If any of you learn God's truth from another pastor, praise God! And if you can minister without me, then amen. We need to do that. I mean, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him. I mean, God works through the gifted body of Christ, not just through one leader. If you see someone who is in the body having an effective ministry, encourage them by telling them that you appreciate their ministry. It's so important. Because when you're serving, you're not doing it for for thanks. You're not doing it for this or that. You're doing it for Him. It's your your offering. It's your devotion. It's not your duty. You're, You're happy to do it. But that's what service is. There's also the grace of serving trustingly, and I'm almost done. Are you serving trustingly in his grace? In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2, Paul says this. He says, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you. He speaks of serving as a stewardship. In other words, grace is a sacred trust that's given. He's entrusting us with his grace. And in doing that, in serving, we must do that faithfully and, and trustingly. Verse 7 says that, that Paul testifies that in the spirit he became a minister, a diaconos, a servant willing to serve tables. See, diakonos is is a word that describes urgent, diligent service in God's grace. In verse 8 says this, it says, This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable grace, the unfathomable riches of Christ. See, every believer has been given the grace to evangelize, to witness, to talk about what Jesus Christ has done for you. Have you been a servant of God's grace this week? Have you explained to someone the riches of God's grace to you? Because that's what it takes. If we're going to evangelize, we got to get over our fear of talking about Jesus. We all live in a society that is searching for riches in all the wrong places. Tell them, tell them where the true riches are, please. As I invite our worship team to come back up here, lastly, I want to say this. The grace of serving seriously. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9 and 10. Paul says this. He says, For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. He wasn't doing it under his own power. There is no way he should have ever been an apostle of the church. He persecuted the church. He was putting them in prison. He was putting them to death. And yet God gave him the grace to say, you're going to go preach to the Gentiles for me. And that's what he did. It's a testimony explaining why he served. By the grace of God, I am what I am. It was God's grace flowing through him in service. And he says further, I've labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. See, God gives us grace to serve him so that we meet the needs of others here, now, but also For all eternity. See as the living church of God. I declare to you that we are not in the church building business. We are in the eternity business. And my challenge to you is to respond positively to this aspect of grace. If you're not involved in any ministry. First make sure that you know Christ as your Savior, then ask Him where and how He wants you to serve Him. Folks, you don't have to be perfect. But like the Romans, growing in goodness and knowledge. Whatever He gives you to do, whether it's raising your children, Or serving your family. Or working in a boring job. Or being a witness in your neighborhood. Or at work by your life and by your words. Or maybe even serving in some way at memorial. Do it. Do it as worship for him. Do it all as worship for him see I encourage you this morning to take a hard look at your life don't point fingers at somebody else look at your own life if you were to radically follow Jesus how would your life be different I can tell you how mine is different I moved to Texas and became a pastor. And that was radically different. How would your life be radically different? How would, if you were to follow him that way, how would it change? Would it change the way you relate to other people? Would it change the way you respond to conflict? How about the way you interact with the hurting I'm going to pray and when I finish praying we're going to be led in a couple more worship songs as you look inside as you look under the hood take the temperature see what your grace level of serving is and if it's not where it needs to be then you got work to do I invite you to come if you want to pray If you have a decision you want to make, if you want to surrender to the vocation of ministry, if you want to ask Jesus into your heart, if you want to follow the Lord in baptism, if you want to be a part of memorial, you come. Whatever he's telling you, you come. Loving Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the example of Paul that we see. And God, I know that your heart is always